Hey guys, Marjorie here. Just wanted to pop on and give, hopefully, a short update before this episode because it was recorded uh, just about a month ago, back in April, um, where things had been consistent regarding COVID in Taiwan for over a year. For the past uh, 17 months, we had been sort of in the same situation, um, which was really positive and really good, and I wanted to talk to you about that. That's why I recorded this episode, because I just wanted to level (laughs) with everyone about what my experience with COVID had been like, um, and also how Taiwan had reacted to the pandemic, because I think that's really interesting and really important um, as well to see how other countries handled it, dealt with it, especially a country that has, you know, for over a year been touted as a COVID success story. I mean, just Google it, like think pieces and articles and essays galore all about what the government did, um, experiences from people entering the country during the pandemic and the process they had to go through that was very um, strict and very controlled. I mean, Taiwan was getting real international acclaim for how it reacted to the pandemic. And I think that's still important to talk about. I think keeping the number of cases below a thousand um, for over a year, for 17 months, and the vast majority of those were imported, so people coming into the country with COVID. Um, and I think for those 17 months, there were only seven deaths, which is, again, completely remarkable. So I think that still deserves to be talked about, and Taiwan's, um, again, just reaction to this deserves to be shared. However, that being said, we are now in a very different situation just within the past like two weeks. Um, We've entered a level three in Taiwan. Taiwan has a four level system. And full disclosure, this is actually the second time I've recorded this intro because the first one I got so into the details of everything just because this is something that I can talk a lot about. I love sharing things that are different in my experience compared to other countries around the world. Um, That's a huge part of this podcast for me is, um, you know, cultural differences and the way that different governments and different societies do things. I think that's really important and really interesting. So I could go on for hours about this, and I almost did in the first um, update I recorded, but I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. You don't need to know like a blow-by-blow of what happened every single day for the past two weeks. Um, Suffice it to say that the government, which has you know, completely made amazing calls and amazing regulations for the past year, they uh, made a mistake, unfortunately, and it was the mistake. They shortened the quarantine period for pilots to only three days. Um, And I, I honestly cannot imagine being a pilot during this time or being a government trying to regulate pilots because it's absurd to think that you fly one international flight and then you have to quarantine for two weeks like that doesn't make any sense but at the same time that's how COVID works so I just can't even imagine trying to come up for the rules and regulations for that unfortunately uh, shortening that quarantine time to three days was a mistake Um, and we've had a couple of cluster infections in Taiwan from pilots before this Um, This one unfortunately spread. It was also related to a hotel that 
uh, they found out later was breaking tons of regulations regarding quarantine and regarding, um, you know, people coming into the country. So they were letting like regular travelers stay in the same areas as people quarantining and they did other things as well. Um, so that led to a cluster infection within the past couple weeks. And so, you know, starting about two or three weeks ago, we kind of watched these clusters grow. I mean, we'd had zero uh, local, locally transmitted cases for for months at various times throughout the past year. I think our record was like six months with no locally transmitted cases. So seeing those numbers go up to, you know, 20 cases a day, 30 cases a day, that was really shocking for Taiwan. Um and then all of a sudden, last, I think it was last Saturday, um, just, you know, just over a week as I'm recording this, um, the cases skyrocketed, skyrocketed to, I think, like 180 something. And so for many other parts of the world, even now, like as the U.S. is opening up and I think Europe is starting to open up a little bit, like 180 cases might be a really great number. But for Taiwan, which has seen basically zero um, that was really, really alarming. So they immediately put us on level three out of four, uh, four being full lockdown. So we're still on level three. We're not totally in lockdown, um, but most everything is closed. Schools are closed. We're doing online teaching. Um, restaurants are only allowed to offer takeaway, and a lot of them are closed anyway. Um and I will say the reaction of the Taiwanese government has been, I, I still just think, remarkable. I mean, I know that I sit here trying to defend this country, which has now had community transmission, just like almost, I think, every other country in the world. Um, so our star has kind of fallen. But I still think that the way that they're dealing with this spread is fantastic. Um Let's see. So a lot of it is digital. Um, Taiwan has a digital minister, Audrey Tang. Um, I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing her family name correctly, and I apologize for that. Um, but she is, I think, the first person to hold this digital minister role in the government. And she's done a remarkable job throughout the whole pandemic for the past year and a half of of digitizing the pandemic, basically, um, instituting a lot of data gathering and tracking that has played a huge role in contact tracing um, and and quarantining and things like that. So what they've implemented since we've been at this level three is that every single place of business um you know, from convenience stores to grocery stores to even any little food stall that is still open now has a QR code that you have to scan um, and it pulls up the um, or you scan it within the, the CECC um, app that they have. <laughs> they have an app. So we get, you know, any update comes within that app. Um Anyway, so you pull up this QR code scanner, scan the code, it generates an automatic text message, SMS message from your phone um, with, you know, of course, your phone number, that store's um, number, they all have a number identifying them, and then you just add your first name and how many people are with you and send the text message. It is free of charge. Um, And so they're basically building like a digital map of 
of everybody, you know, and and I guess like if you're just walking around like, okay, you're not part of that map, but any place you're you're completing any kind of transaction is tracked. Um, And I recognize that there are perhaps data privacy issues or personal, you know, privacy issues with the government having this information. But I've actually not seen that issue raised in Taiwan. Um, I think the people here are generally a lot more trusting of the government. I mean, frankly, I'm a lot more trusting of the government here than I would be in the U.S. So that hasn't been an issue. Um, And then, of course, they have this huge repository for tracking people's movements and contact tracing and knowing, you know, where outbreaks are happening and who do they need to contact and all that stuff. So... Another part of that, um, you know, we had this cluster infection in the hotel. It spread. Unfortunately, one of the places it spread to was the uh, tea house district, one might call it. There is an area of Taipei um, with a lot of tea houses. And those tea houses, uh, you, you, can, you might be able to guess what some of them operate as, uh, some to greater or lesser degrees than others, I would imagine. Um, sort of the red light district of Taipei. So unfortunately, that is where one of the clusters happened. Um, and retroactively, the Taiwanese government sent out a text message to anyone who had been in that area within like a two-week time span. Um, you would get this text message telling you to monitor your health or, you know, go get tested for COVID or whatever the case may be. So just using digitization, using this technology, I think in a way that not many, if any, other countries have. I mean, I haven't heard anything. I would have to do some digging to know for sure, but I haven't heard of any other country implementing this kind of system to this degree. Um, they also added data, new data, to people's health insurance cards because there's uh, national health insurance here. We all have cards which contain a lot of our, or all of our medical history and things like that. They also added whether you had been um, required to be under self-health management or if you had been exposed to a COVID case or probably if you'd been tested for COVID, something like that. So all of that info is now stored in your card as well. Um, so it's immediately accessible and a doctor will immediately know like what the situation is, what your status is. Um, so they're really, really, I think, taking all the appropriate precautions Um We were supposed to be at this level three with no school for two weeks. That two weeks will be up on Friday. I mean, honestly, I don't see it ending on Friday. I think it will continue longer. Um, Although if you look at the number of cases, it has gone down consistently for the past four days, which I'm feeling very positive about. Um, Yeah, it's, it's just strange because we've spent the past year, like I said, year and a half being this success story and living very normal lives and going to restaurants and concerts and music festivals and parades and, you know, just not experiencing what the rest of the world was experiencing. And now uh, now we're in this situation um, to some degree. Um and and it, but but behind or like a year behind everyone else, so I find myself going through all of the same emotions and all of the same experiences that I heard people talk about, and that I sort of, 
you know, cognitively empathized with at the time, but just didn't have the experience. Um, So it's very strange. And it's also strange that, you know, at least in the U.S., basically everyone I know, so many people are getting vaccinated and things are opening up again. um, And people are sort of, uh, I think, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or starting to think about this as, you know, something that they're coming through, something that might be sort of almost (laughs) in the past now. And yet for Taiwan, this is just hitting us. This is a new experience. So I don't know. There's just a lot of of different ramifications for this. Um, I still wanted to release this episode, the original COVID episode, just because, like I said, I still think it's valid. It was completely accurate for over a year and a half. Um, But of course, I need to level with you that it is not the case now. So we're releasing this as a bonus episode um, just, you know, to give you another look into Taiwan and how this country does things and and what is my life like? It has it has drastically changed in the past two weeks. All right. Without further ado, here is the original uh, Taiwan success COVID story. I hope you enjoy. This is Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. I am Marjorie Frymouth, and I am so excited to have you here with us for this episode in which we are going to talk all things COVID and Taiwan. Now, I'm really sorry if you were hoping this was going to be a bit of travel escapism for you today, if you're tired of hearing about COVID all the time and living through it and all of that. Um, I do apologize. I will provide some escapism in the future. But like I said in our first episode, for me, one of the biggest and most important things about travel is learning about how other countries do things. And I know that sounds really dry and technical, but just understanding that what you've been exposed to maybe for most of your life is not the only way that things are done or the only way that things can be done. Um, And not to say that other things are necessarily better, but just that there's different options. And I think Taiwan has handled the pandemic very differently from most other countries, especially from the U.S. And as a result, my life here is essentially normal. When I was thinking about what I wanted to tell you in this episode, I was trying to think like, how much of my life has been disrupted and really other than like the mental and emotional toll which is a far less than other countries as well but of course we do still um think about it and experience it in that way but in a practical sense not much has changed i have to remember to bring a mask with me when i leave the house i have to wear the mask <laughs> when i go out um but really, I think that's the only impact that it's had on my life. And there have been a couple of other bumps in the road throughout the past year where things have slightly changed, but then they've changed back. And I'll, I'll tell you about all of that. Um, but really, I think I'm living in one of the only, if not the only, place in the world. I know New Zealand definitely springs to mind. I think Vietnam has handled things fairly well also. But um Yeah, Taiwan is definitely one of the very few places where life has basically continued as normal throughout the pandemic for the majority of people living here. I mean, I certainly don't want to discount the doctors and nurses who are treating the patients that are here and all of that. But generally, for the public, um, things are very, very 
normal. <laughs> I'm going to use that word a lot to describe my life right now. Um, so I just want to talk you through a little bit of why that's the case and what Taiwan has done uh, to keep things status quo <laughs> for us here. Um, and I also, I want to acknowledge that it's hard, you know, you can't compare countries like Taiwan and America to a large degree. You just can't because, you know, I grew up in Maine in the U.S. And so when I always think about Taiwan's size, I compare it to Maine. I think they're about the same size. I think maybe Taiwan is even a little bit smaller. So, you know, you, you just can't make that comparison to a country the size of the U.S., the population of the U.S. to Taiwan, which is also an island. And I mean, it's not to say like in this day and age of travel and transportation and interconnectedness, of course, being an island doesn't mean you can just like lock the door and you're totally fine. But it does provide some, I don't want to say like protection, but it does make it a little bit easier to control who is coming in and going out of your country. Um, you know, and of course, we have shipping and ports and many airports and all that. But generally, there's one main international airport in Taiwan. So it's a little bit easier to keep control of that than, you know, all the, the dozens or hundreds of major airports in the US. So I do want to acknowledge that I can't say like, oh, well, America should have just done exactly what Taiwan did and everything would have been fine. No, that's that's certainly not true. But, you know, Taiwan is a country of over 23 million people. And we've had fewer than a thousand COVID cases total currently. Um, I can give you the exact numbers, but they probably or they definitely will change by the time this gets out, probably in a couple weeks. But currently, as I'm recording, we've had uh, 927 total cases, and especially significant, 812 of those were imported. So just over a hundred cases were transmitted locally, and I believe at this point we've had. 10 deaths, either nine or 10. Um, I mean, and I, again, I don't want to speak lightly of anyone passing away, but 10 deaths, when you look at the huge, huge numbers in America and the rest of the world, that is just, I, I don't know, <laughs> it blows my mind really thinking about Taiwan's success in this area. So, okay, I want to take you back a year ago, just over a year ago to January. Although actually, uh, Taiwan was really on the forefront of all of this. Um, I don't want to get hugely into the political situation, but Taiwan and China have a very tense relationship. <laughs> uh, essentially, in layman's terms, China believes they control Taiwan. Uh, they don't. They have absolutely nothing to do with the the running of the country or the control of the country. A very, very, very tense situation there. So Taiwan is always sort of monitoring information from China. And uh, they were very much aware that this disease had appeared in Wuhan uh, way back in December. It was actually December 31st of 2019 where they first began monitoring and screening passengers on flights from Wuhan. And that was quickly expanded to uh, flights from any part of China. Um, so they were very much on top of this and actually contacted the WHO, I think also in December of 2019, um, about the possibility of human-to-human -human transmission, which the WHO continued to deny for a while after that. And that's actually another... Um, problem, another sticking point. I don't want to get too much into the weeds with you, but because of the whole uh, 
political situation between Taiwan and China, Taiwan is prevented from joining most international organizations, including the WHO. So throughout this whole process, Taiwan was really up on the information and the research and trying to be involved and trying to share uh, what our scientists had found. I go back and forth between they and I and our when I'm speaking about Taiwan, because of course, like, I'm not involved in this. Like, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a politician. I'm not even Taiwanese. But living here and having experienced it, um, you know, while being in Taiwan as a resident, I do tend to speak in, like, including myself. So <laughs> I might flip back between that every once in a while. I'll try to bear with me. Anyway, um, so Taiwan was not given like insider access to WHO information or things like that and sort of operated on the fringes, like desperately pounding on the door, trying to get in um, and, and really proving themselves as a country that they were at the forefront of the science and the research and um, the regulations and everything that you had to put in place to prevent this pandemic. I mean, un unfortunately, I feel weird saying this, the pandemic has kind of been great for Taiwan's international reputation. A lot of people who may not even have heard of the country or know what's been going on have really um, recognized it, although not legally or politically, but really, you know, started to acknowledge uh, what a great country Taiwan is. So it's kind of a mixed bag, of course. It's a global pandemic and Taiwan is not allowed to be part of the WHO, but in a way it's it's been great for Taiwan's reputation. So Anyway, um, Taiwan was aware of things back in December. In January, I was actually in Singapore because we had vacation for Chinese New Year. So I was in Singapore for a few days. We will talk about Singapore in the future. It is a fantastic city slash country because it all exists in this tiny little island. It's a country, but it's only one city. They have the best food you will ever have in your life. Um, just absolutely incredible. So highly recommend Singapore. We will talk about it again. I was in Singapore and I don't really remember hearing much about the pandemic before. Of course, it wasn't a pandemic at that point. It was a, a cluster of cases in China that people were really worried about. Um, I don't remember hearing much about it before I went to Singapore, but by the time I was coming back, people were really aware of it and and kind of panicking. Um Every single person on my flight back to Taipei was wearing a mask. I was not because I, I didn't have any with me. And at that point, they were all already sold out in Singapore. So there was no way I was going to be able to find them in like a pharmacy or the airport or anything like that. So I did not have a mask. I did have hand sanitizer, which usually I try not to use. You know, I prefer just washing my hands. But I <laughs> I used that hand sanitizer liberally on that flight. I sanitized every inch of my seat and tray table and my hands about every five minutes and just, you know, was trying to be really uh, proactive about all of that. A lot of the flight attendants were wearing plastic gloves in addition to their masks. So people were already... Um, I don't know, like panicking isn't the right word, but already taking real proactive steps to not get sick and not spread anything. And of course, the main way that they're doing that is through the mask. So I, I want to talk about masks for a second, because what a global phenomenon they've been this year um, in so many ways. Uh, mask wearing is normal in Asia. And a lot of people trace that back to the SARS outbreak of uh, 2003. Um, 
And I could see that being sort of the same for the US, like the way that SARS made masks normal in Asia, the this pandemic might make masks normal in the future in the US and Western countries. So anytime you go out in public in Taipei or lots of other cities, you'll see a few people wearing masks. It's not unusual. Um, it's considered common courtesy to wear them if you're sick or you have a cold or something. I've learned that a lot of people wear them if they don't feel like putting makeup on that day or they have a pimple or something. Some people even wear them for air pollution. And I don't know anything about if they're at all effective at preventing you from breathing pollution. I just don't know. Um, but there's lots of reasons that people wear masks in Asia. It's really not, not a weird thing, not a big thing. Um, but by the time I was back in Taipei, all the masks were completely sold out everywhere. Usually you can buy them, you know, just at any pharmacy, even grocery stores or convenience stores all have a few packs of masks to buy, but they were completely sold out. I had a couple from a previous time that I'd been sick. And I will say I started this pandemic not as an anti-masker, but I would say as a mask skeptic. I'm admitting it now. I'm coming clean. I was a mask skeptic. I didn't you know, I had nothing against wearing them, but for me, I just doubted their effectiveness. Um, and when I wore them in the past, it was more of like a, a cultural thing for me. Like, I'm in Taipei and I'm, I'm sick and I need to go on the subway, so I'm going to do what the Taiwanese would do and wear a mask. And ooh, isn't this exciting? This is not something I've done before. So that's kind of what it was for me. And when I saw the level of mask obsession, when COVID started, you know, I don't want to say the pandemic started because it was still only in China at that point, but when this awareness of the virus started, it just seemed to me like people were solely focusing on masks. Like if you wear a mask, that that will be the cure-all, you know, <laughs> you won't get sick. You will never get sick. Wear your mask. Um, and I was that person who was like, well, the virus particles can fit through the masks and we should be focusing more on hand washing and other prevention techniques. And <laughs> I am so glad that I researched and learned more and changed my mind. And now I am a total mask advocate. Wear your mask, protect yourself, protect others. It's not 100%, but they are scientifically proven to be somewhat effective. So that's my little speech for right now. Wear your mask. And I have to say, um, so, okay, all right, I'll get back to my story. This will tie in. Uh, masks were completely sold out. And one of the steps that the Taiwanese government took was taking over all of the manufacturing and distribution and supply of masks. So they just completely took over all the factories and controlled that. Um, so for a while, we could only buy two masks a week, and we had to go to specific pharmacies and present our health insurance cards. Uh, I'll tell you more about Taiwan's healthcare system in a future episode because I'm obsessed with it. I think I said last time, like, it's not perfect. No system's perfect, but it is fantastic. So we all have health insurance cards, and they contain a lot of information about your medical history. So they just tied the mask system into that, and it could track how often you were buying masks. So we had to pre uh, present our cards to buy the masks. And eventually, as they ramped up the supply, uh, you know, then we could buy three a week, then we could buy nine every two weeks. And now, a year plus in, they're, they're everywhere. Again, you, you, don't, you don't have to 
buy them at pharmacies or with your health insurance card. And now there's a huge market for the fashion masks, as I like to call them, the pattern ones, the colored ones. And so for me, 2021 is the year of the exciting masks. I'm no longer going to be wearing any white or blue or green masks. I have all the patterns, all the colors, all the holiday themed ones. I match them to my outfit. I've decided that 2021 is the exciting mask year for me. <laughs> so that's how I'm dealing with the pandemic in Taiwan. <laughs> um, so that was the situation with masks. A couple other things that the country did. Um, oh, someone's like shrieking outside my window. I live right by a market, so it's very busy, and, and I can always hear, you know, people selling their wares and shouting things, and and kids playing and everything. I don't know if you can hear it at all, but it's a it's a great place to live in the city. So. Um, <laughs> Where was my train of thought? Uh, one of the things that immediately happened is the government activated the CECC, the Central Epidemic Command Center. Um, and I think this was tied to Taiwan's experience with SARS. Uh, Taiwan was hit really bad in 2003 with SARS. And I think that's one of the reasons why they dealt with this pandemic so effectively is they learned a lot of lessons about how to <laughs> isolate things and how to, you know, keep keep the virus out of the country and protect your citizens and all that stuff. So it was definitely uh, something they learned previously. So the Central Epidemic Command Center was activated. They've taken over a lot of the control and things that have been implemented Um Another thing that they did was storing people's travel history on the health insurance card. So anytime you go to a hospital or the doctor, you have to present your card, which is normal, but they can then see what your travel history is. And that's something that I think would be very controversial in the States, but it's been really effective in Taiwan. You don't have to rely on people self-reporting or you know, fudging dates or things like that, or just straight up getting things wrong, like making mistakes. It's all stored right there. Um, you know, there were other levels of things like preventing people from entering the country. Um, at one point, I think last summer, they instituted just the blanket ban, like no one can come into the country unless you're a citizen or a resident, which I am. Um, that was lifted to some degree, like, well, if you're a student and you already have a visa or if you're a business person or things like that. Uh, but then we had an increase in cases in the winter in like, you know, November, December last year. And so they instituted it again. Um, no one into the country except for citizens and residents. So, you know, things have gone kind of back and forth. Uh, we had six or seven months over the summer, I think like spring to the fall, where we had no local transmission of cases, uh, which was incredible. And that's when people really got kind of complacent. Um, and, you know, that's when life was the most normal. I think we were the only country, I think the only country in the world to hold a pride parade in 2020. And I went to it and it was awesome. And yeah, a lot of people were wearing masks and a lot of people weren't, but but it was totally safe. And that, that's one of the things that's really funny is that I am, I'm so pro-mask. I'm always telling people to wear their masks, but then I'm living in a country where at certain points in time, it hasn't always been necessary, especially if you're outside. Like we had no local cases in Taiwan for seven months. We 
didn't really have to wear masks in all situations. So here I am on social media posting pictures of myself without a mask, telling other people to wear their masks. Felt like a bit of a hypocrite sometimes. Um, but that's what I that's what I get for living in Taiwan. Like I said, a fairly normal life. So we had pride. Um, I went to a music festival a few months ago. Just all these regular events have kept happening and they have canceled a few. Some things got canceled or, you know, more in the spring or early summer. Um, then, then when we had more cases coming in and some locally transmitted cases over the winter, they started canceling things. Um, all of the cities around Taiwan, except for Taipei, made their New Year's fireworks celebrations virtual. So the fireworks still happened, but there were no crowds allowed in any of the public areas, but they live streamed <laughs> all the fireworks. Uh, Taipei came very close to canceling. They decided the morning of not to cancel. And a lot of people thought that was a politically motivated decision by the mayor and he should have canceled, but he didn't. So, you know, I got to go out. I went to a party. I went to the fireworks. Um, I got to celebrate New Year's again, probably as one of the very few places in the world where I could publicly celebrate. And, you know, that's not something that I take lightly. I try not to forget when I'm you know, at a restaurant with my friends or going to a coffee shop or something that um, it's very unique and it's very special. I'm very privileged to be able to do that without having to think too much about it or, you know, really make sure that I'm staying away from everyone or get in and get out as fast as possible or always get takeaway or something like that. You know, those are not adjustments that I've had to make to my life. And that's an enormous, enormous privilege. I'm very, very lucky. So another thing that happens if you come into Taiwan, you know, if you have like one of those visas ahead of time and you can get into the country right now, um, is the quarantine process. And I've heard from people who've gone back and forth to Taiwan or to the States, you know, I've heard that when you land in like LaGuardia or something, there's maybe a message on the plane or in the airport saying like, you know, monitor your health, wear a mask, take care of yourself. But then there's no documentation. There's no tracking. There's no specific recommendations or anything. They just let you out into the country. So if you come into Taiwan right now, uh, from what I understand, and I may be missing like a few steps of the process, but you have to fill out very specific forms about your travel history, your health history. They definitely take your temperature. Um, I think there's a lot of COVID testing at the airport going on if you report symptoms or anything like that. You have to download an app where they can track you for two weeks, your two-week quarantine. Um, again, this is something that would be so controversial in the U.S. And, and I understand that. Like, you know, I'm not 100% behind it. I do think it's a little bit of an invasion, but it's so effective. <laughs> it's been so effective in Taiwan. I know people who've gone through this and they've said that, they accidentally let their their phone die. If the battery dies, it registers as a blip on the system and the police will show up at your apartment within like 15, 20 minutes and be like, where are you? Did you leave your apartment? Um, people have been caught stepping out of their quarantine centers, you know, to put something outside or to go get a drink or something. And again, the police are immediately there um, and, and big fines are levied for that. So they're not taking this lightly. This is very serious here. Um, there are specific quarantine centers. I know some people are able to do it in their apartments, but you have to take a 
special, like registered or something taxi that's cleaned regularly and all that, you know, all that stuff um, to your apartment or to your quarantine center. You're not allowed to do anything else, stop anywhere else. You go inside. You do not leave for two weeks. They actually bring you food. They provide, I think, two meals a day. It's just dropped outside of your door. Um, I think they provide other things as well, maybe like some hygiene supplies. Um, And there was also, I don't know the details of this, but there was also a um, oh, I can't think of the word. All I can think of is stimulus check because that's going on right now. Not a stimulus check, but like they give you money for, for being in quarantine. And it's not a lot. I think it was maybe like 2000 Taiwan dollars, which is like $60 or maybe it was 2000 a week. I'm sorry. I don't have my details right. Uh, but they were providing compensation for people who had to be in quarantine and also for people who had to take care of others who were in quarantine. Um, So if you had to be in the same house as someone and miss work for that, then you are compensated as well. So it's a, you know, it's a very technical, big process. Um, But again, it's, it's good that it's in place. It's clearly been very effective. So again, this country is not messing around with anything to do with this. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of everything I wanted to tell you. Uh, I'm sure there's some details that I've missed or something like that. We've all been sort of led through this process by Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, who is fantastic. I love her so much. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about how she's guided this process is that She's, you know, she's stepped in as a figurehead and a diplomat and things like that. But in terms of the science and the implementation of these regulations and everything, she's really been hands off because she's appointed the people with the qualifications um, and the, the experience to be more effective at making those rules and regulations than she would be. Um the the daily and then weekly press briefings were led by the head of the CECC, uh, Chen Shijong. And please take all of my Chinese pronunciations with a grain of salt. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I think this man is fantastic. And I'm so sorry if I mispronounced his name. Um, he is the head of the CECC. And he has just been working tirelessly uh, throughout you know the past year. Over the past year, he is sort of the face of the pandemic um, response in Taiwan. And he's just, he sort of comes across as like a, a Taiwan's, you know, uncle or or something like that in terms of how he leads everybody through this. Um, there was a, something happened last year when we were still getting the mask rations. You couldn't, you know, go out and buy your own masks. You had to take what was given to you. And a lot of little boys were complaining about getting pink masks in their rations that they didn't want to wear the pink masks. And so the next press conference, um, Chen Zhejiang and all of the other male (laughs) members of the CECC come out wearing pink masks to show that even boys can wear pink. Um, And he explains that Pink Panther was his favorite TV show as a kid. So (laughs) I just love the humanity that he displays in response to all of this, as well as like the calm professionalism and competency. And I really think if he and Dr. Fauci were to meet, that would just be a fantastic, (laughs) fantastic experience, fantastic meeting. I would absolutely love to see that. Um, So he and Tsai Ing-wen have really have really done well and done right by Taiwan throughout this whole 
experience this whole year, this whole pandemic. Um, yeah, I think that's everything I wanted to share. I mean, feel free to ask me questions. Is there anything that I didn't cover that you want to know more about, about Taiwan or about, well, I mean, I'll talk about Taiwan a lot in future episodes, but about Taiwan's uh, pandemic response or my experience living here during the pandemic. Um, I would love to, you know, to answer any of those questions or tell you more about any of that. I cannot get enough of talking about all of this. Uh, I hope it's interesting for you. I really do because I love talking about it. So that brings us to the end of our episode. You can send me any of those questions to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com or going out your door on Instagram and Facebook, and also on Twitter at going out your. Thank you for joining me. I am so excited to talk to you next time. This has been Going Out Your Door. Mm-hmm.